Hello, Fight fans, and welcome to the Hollywood Brunettes Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Matt, the store brand Keanu. Alongside me is my tag team partner, the Danimal. How's it going, Matty? All right, and in the farewell to Daly's place, seemingly, as AEW begins to hit the road again, we got treated to a nice farewell, almost borderline pay-per-view level experience, I would say. Uh, so I figured we could touch base on that, Danimal, see what your thoughts were. Obviously, the big one that was the MJF and Sammy Guevara main event, which uh, I have to say, I was damn impressed. Yeah, I think the one of the big takeaways for me was just kind of, and I, I think it's been said about him in almost a derogatory way that MJF kind of wrestles to the level of the person across the ring from him. But I only think that's a knock if you put someone shitty there because it's like, you know, a lot of guys would just be so outshone by Sammy that it, it wouldn't tell the story. It would just look like they were struggling to keep up. But <clears throat> the two of those guys just really went for it. And I was, I mean, it was one of those matches where, you know, half of me is still doing the like smart fan trying to figure out the angle and pick it. But no matter what it was, I just couldn't figure it out. They were just selling everything and the drama was just so real. Yeah, I I have to say like that that's a great descriptor for MJF because I feel like yeah he's been kind of hindered by this rivalry they've had, um, where he's pretty much been matched up with Jericho the whole time. Where say what you will about Jericho, he's still a damn good performer at his age, but he's also what yeah at least twenty five years older, um, in terms of just in ring ability. Like there's only so much he can do. So seeing MJF actually paired up with a guy who's who's right in his his age range with athletic ability that's probably top in the industry, um, yeah, I was damn impressed by how well he kept up, all things considered. Yeah, I, I continue to really be, I guess, blown away by the way that Sammy's also able to use like the ropes. Because I think it's one of those things where I don't I don't think of him, and I, I know the term is sometimes used derisively and sometimes not. I don't think of him as like a flippy guy. Like, despite the fact that he does, you know, a lot of these moves, like he did the cutter, he did the Spanish fly. You know, he was doing a lot of high, high flying maneuvers, but I didn't get the feel of it just being like the okay, let's wait till we can get to the ropes for the next spot. Like he still was very capable in like, you know, the standard match fair. And it just kind of makes the makes the makes it more impressive i guess to me every time he does it because you know no offense to like a ricochet who's phenomenal but you're just kind of watching for the next crazy the next crazy flip or you know 630 or you know whatever splash but with sammy it's like every time he busted out i was just like oh my god like i can't believe he did that and that's that's a rare thing to be able to have that's a great point actually i feel like that's always been the knock on uh the high flyers uh for the most part is that it can get rather stale when when everything is just pretty much setting up the next big uh, maneuver. I, I remember that actually a lot with like Jeff Hardy uh, early in his career, where it was like you do amazing things off the top rope, but other than that, it was pretty stale. So um, yeah, that's that's a huge compliment to Sammy, and and yeah, seeing him be able to put on a overly like just all around performance like that, where it's got the nice mix of the submission, the power moves. You know, uh, yeah, it just worked. It was that match. I agree with you completely. Like I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. And even with the way it concluded, like it was still satisfying despite, you know, it being the heel 
heel ending, but you still kind of felt like, you know, you got your, your money's worth for certain. Yeah. I was a big fan of um, them actually acknowledging that when Sean Spears came out and, you know, Jericho who'd been on commentary the entire night, just cause they kind of wanted to give him something to do. Um, when he like storms down and he's going to put a stop to it and Wardlow came out and attacked him. And I love that they acknowledged for once, they're like, he's in the tunnel. Has he been waiting there all along? Like the classic thing of like when someone would pop out from under the ring and there's kind of that, like, so they just been hanging out there for like, you know, 40 minutes during this match. So I did, I did like that. They acknowledged that Wardlow is basically just kind of like standing in the tunnel, just like arms crossed watching the match. Like, all right, you know, this, this is going to be your moment. Don't, don't miss it. If he comes down and tries to stop someone. So it was a, it was a fun thing to hear them actually acknowledge as opposed to just the classic, like, and here comes Wardlow. It's like, well, why the hell was he there otherwise? So I thought, I thought that was actually a good uh, acknowledgement of a usually ignored wrestling trope. <laughs> that is always a good one. Um, I, I like to, like, I've, I think I t- spoke of highly of him previously, but uh, Sean Spears, the whole chairman angle, how they've just embraced on this like whole, like another level of just basically like a bond villain almost. He even has a little bit of the look with the Mohawk. Like, you know, he doesn't, he like jumps in for the promo, but yeah, it's just, and I think it's good because he's kind of in the, like, he's kind of the tweener right now because like the pinnacle has their tag team. They got their heady. But then you got MJF, who's kind of doing double duty, being the mouthpiece, but then he's got to wrestle the top wrestler. So it kind of left him in a void of, like, what's he going to do? So I think, you know, kudos to the, the creative in the backstage to be like, all right, well, you can just always be the guy that's, you know, liable to come in and interfere in a match. So, you know, it's better than just being the, the extra guy. Yeah, I like how they've added to that like creep factor where it's like almost like he gets off on hitting guys with chairs. So, um, yeah, it's it's been a fun development for a character that I honestly believe probably has some of the more more honest wrestling talent of that faction and uh, giving him an opportunity now to kind of, uh, you know, have a little more individual action as well. It seems like they're setting up a nice future feud with him and Sammy. Uh, that could go for a while. Yeah, I think I think it's also it makes him such a great uh, kind of mini boss if you keep the pinnacle together in the sense that like Wardlow's the typical heavy that you have to go through, but then yeah, Spears is kind of like the he's kind of like the the small bodyguard that's by the bad guy where you know you you know the heavy's the one you should be afraid of, but like why is that guy there? So he's yeah, you know he's got his chair and he's gonna out wrestle you and. Yeah, I think I think it should be a good spot for him, and it, I guess it just continues to be, you know, why, I guess why we talk about AEW more because they they do a good job of not just you know letting someone fall through the cracks to the point that it's like, eh, you know, I could see this, you know, in a different world where he just kind of like disappears from the group, like not even like a Poochie send off, just kind of like he just reappears and no one acknowledges that he used to be the chairman. So I, I, I'm glad for it. Yeah, I. Now you mentioned like why we watch AEW. I think a big part of it has been just like they just seem to get, you know, that there's so much more to it than just put the biggest, biggest figures in the ring you can possibly find and uh, let them talk for 20 minutes on the mic to a live crowd like that. That's important. But there's all these other little elements that you see a big one. 
that we've spoke so highly of is uh, Jungle Boy and his ascension. And uh, the night actually was kicked off with uh, him winning his, uh, what is it, the 50th win? 50th, yeah, first, and yeah, first guy to get to 50 wins in a company that, you know, does a good job of acknowledging the wins and losses, which I think is such like a simple concept that's so lost upon you know the industry where it's instead it's just about hype and you know giving a promo or you know the joke is that if you want a title match you just run out hit the champ with the chair out of nowhere and boom you're you're the front runner so yeah the fact that and that's coming off you know the the loss to kenny omega which you know there's there's no shame in that that was a phenomenal match that we'll probably talk about a little later but yeah that they bounced him right back with like hey here's another win and a reminder of why this guy is you know such a pillar of the company moving forward yeah, I just cannot speak highly enough of how they've managed to book things and layer it in a way where you almost don't realize what's going on. Obviously, like everything's planned out in advance, so it's easier to to map it out. But um, just the fact that like you had the fact uh, that Darby defeated Jungle Boy, but then they kind of went their separate ways. And then all of a sudden you realize Jungle Boy's accumulated all these wins and was in contention with Kenny Omega, but then there's still this future potential for a rivalry again with Darby, seeing as how that's his only other loss outside of the champ. So, you know, it, it's amazing how you can kind of weave in like these contenders, whereas I'm so accustomed over the years to just the classic. It's like, oh, they started talking on a Monday after the pay-per-view. This is going to build up to the big show at the end of the month. And then they'll continue it for another three months until the major pay-per-view hits and so on and so forth. So it, it's nice seeing them weave in talent, especially when you are dealing with, you know, some like Jungle Boy, who's incredibly young and surrounded by so much, such an excess of wrestling talent in AEW, but also giving him his due that he's earned a push and, and he certainly seems to have embraced it. Yeah, I think I think the weaving storylines is a really good point to touch on because they also they had the built in like come down plan in that when he got the title shot, it was by winning like the, you know, not Royal Rumble Battle Royale, where he comes down to the wire with Christian. So then they've got the respect. So then after his title match, he's getting the beat down from the elite. Christian comes out because they've got the, you know, the professional respect, good guy vibe. But then christian's rivalry runs in you got the hardy family and now jungle boy is able to just transition into that feud a little bit and it just it doesn't feel like they shoehorned him into it or that they you know just did the okay he lost now we'll just have him you know go fight some team task guys so the fact that like when he he started the night against the hardy family it was like oh yeah of course because they're beefing with christian who he's got this respect for so i think it was a really good use of like you said, just those layers that it makes sense and it doesn't feel like, the, you know, okay, you know, it's not Mortal Kombat where, you know, you lose and then you just go down to the bottom and you got to fight Kano again. So I, uh, I definitely appreciated that uh, kicking off the episode. Uh, you mentioned Team Taz. They seem to be somewhat in disarray. Uh, we finally going to get to see your boy Brian Cage removed from that group and maybe pursuing some individual merit outside of holding the FTW belt. Oh, so excited for this. I mean, I love, I like how Taz is kind of doing the like 
guy who's going to get dumped by his girlfriend and he's like explaining to his buddies like why her like taking all her stuff out of his apartment and like doing you know like unfollowing him and taking the pictures off instagram it's like no 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 sometimes you just need to you know really cleanse the system and when she realizes that like her stuff being back at her parents house doesn't seem right then she's gonna want to move back he's sitting here just like no, this guy that's barely hanging out with the faction anymore and openly wants to fight someone, they're just going to get the bad blood out. And after after they, you know, get the hell beaten out of them either way, then we're all going to be good again. So I, I, I love Taz's, yeah, in, in denial is kind of, I wish he was getting a little more side-eye from the rest of the members, just kind of like, yeah, whatever you say, boss. But no, I'm, I'm really excited for that. And I, I think it's going to be a good match too. So I think it should be uh, interesting to see what they do with, uh, Brian Cage because there's really I mean he hasn't had a ton outside of this storylines so they're gonna kind of have to start from scratch with him which I think they'll do which will make a lot more sense I like the the Ricky Starks angle too because I feel like he's one of those wrestlers where I haven't seen enough of him in ring but he certainly has a presence about him on on the mic and now that they're back actually touring the country uh, I think characters like that become all that more important for being able to hold the audience attention. So uh, it's a great way to start off kind of a feud right there. So moving into women's wrestling, obviously my gal, Britt Baker, still doing her thing. Uh, any other moves that you've noticed in, in uh, AEW women's division? I mean, that's, that's definitely the primary one. And I think that's a case where we just can't shout Britt Baker out enough. I mean, I think she, they're also doing a great job with her doing everything she can to maintain the heel heat, despite the fact that she's just so over. I mean, anytime that you've got the, you know, Britt Baker DMD with the like finger on everything, like the crowd's eating that up. So I'm glad that when they went with the, uh, the tag team match, she did the kind of classic, you know, leaving her her partner out to face Nyla. And then whenever the, the tide would kind of change, she'd tag herself in and try to steal the glory. So I thought that was a, a great bit of kind of the, the smarmy heel, just trying to get at least a little bit of heat on her so she doesn't go too much cool heel. And also continued big shout outs to Vicky Guerrero. I just love her. Like, she's not a trained wrestler they acknowledged it chris was like vicky is not a wrestler and yet she's out here she's taking bumps she's repping two different clients like i i just continue to feel like she's someone that you know does what's needed for the business and is just a great screen presence so big big shout outs to her and you know i think i think the uh the nyla rose uh move is just a, a great call because it's really going to have to establish her as someone to uh, be reckoned with or Brit as someone to be reckoned with she can win, beat her since Nyla was the initial champ and really you know set herself as a real threat I was going to say too and and the ever looming uh, rematch with Thunder Rosa which you know will come down the road um, but yeah I actually caught a part of an episode of NXT and there's actually a male character that's doing the whole uh, DMD thing now. Um, oh. I, he's basically, he was vying to be the million dollar man's protege. That's like his whole angle. But, but yeah, he does some sort of uh, initials like that. And I was like, that's, I mean, that's what you call it. It's, it's flattery in the sense that, you know, he's ripping you off, but at the same time, it's pretty bold move. Cause she's, like you said, completely gone over 
um, despite being a total heel all through and through. Yeah, no, she's she's doing great work. And yeah, I think I think the matches that we're going to see because obviously Thunder Rosa's out there, but I think Ty Conti will probably come in there. I wouldn't be shocked if Serena Deeb came back because I think they're really going to build up uh, Brit for a while before they, they cash in on that. And they've, they've got some talent, so it's going to be fun to watch her continue to grow as a, a performer as well as a great promo. Yeah, I was going to say the uh, one, two from the... Um the best friends faction as well. Is it Statlander? Oh yeah. Um, Statlander. She's, she's impressive. That's for sure. Yeah, for certain. They kind of have, again, like we were talking about the weaving of the storylines right now, they kind of have her idol in the sense that she's got this feud with the, um, the Matt Hardy family or whatever they're called. <laughs> I forget all these damn faction names, but what is it? The bunny and the blade, I believe are the two characters that are kind of yeah. feuding with there. So um, again, these these are all, you know, at least in Orange Cassidy's case and Statlander, like these are two very viable championship contenders, but they've done a fantastic job of just kind of tying them up with the storyline that keeps them on the air, but also doesn't have to be in Kenny Omega's face every night or, you know, Dr. Britt Baker. Yeah, that's, that's a great call. What do you think about the old guys, uh, Christian Cage, Matt Hardy, uh, and their future match to uh that nobody asked for and is 20 years past it's due i mean i i guess my real fear is like do they do they put on like a ladder match but then only make it so you have to climb like a six foot ladder to take the thing down given that their counterparts were the the truly death defying ones you know it'll just yeah just like a, a step ladder match i think that's that's the way to go um, no, that one, that one's just kind of odd to me because it kind of seems to go against most of what they've done, where it's usually kind of, they bring in the, uh, the WWE talent and then they put them with new people. So you get the whole matchup you always dreamed of, you know, Moxley versus pretty much everybody, or, you know, my guy Miro, you know, he, he hasn't touched any former, you know, rivals. It's all these new matches, which has been really fun. So I, I don't know if it's they just want to cash in on it or maybe they feel like it's someone that can, you know, they've got good chemistry, but yeah, I think, I think that's going to be a weird one. That's the only one that seems to have some like big show manage his money poorly. So like, I'm wondering if we're going to have the, like, you know, Hardy's yearly earnings versus Christian's house or something match. I don't know. I, I'm just not sure where the, the heat's going to come from. So that, that one, I think I, I'll, I'll consider it a good feud because it got us, you know, Jungle Boy's backup uh, angle. But no, that is most certainly a storyline I was not asking for. I am intrigued to see because I know that Matt Hardy has an affinity towards kind of that. Um, it's really popular in like luchador wrestling where it's almost like a it's a cine, cinema version of a wrestling match where it's like kind of pre-filmed, like very similar to what. AJ Styles and The Undertaker did at WrestleMania during the COVID year. Oh, um, yeah, he did kind of the first one, like that weird, like, final deletion with Jeff Hardy. Exactly. So I am I am curious because I'm, I don't know, whenever I see Matt Hardy do anything, like, he seems very limited. Like, obviously, he's, he's reaching an age where it's okay for him to let his body go a bit, which we're allowed to be critical about because they're professional wrestlers, damn it. But um, yeah, he, he definitely is fighting. <laughs> yeah but he's definitely like not on the same level athletically as christian cage like christian cage actually i'm i like this return to him be, just because he is 
that perfect kind of weathered veteran who has been around and seen some shit, but you're right. He's not actually the more accomplished of his duo. In fact, you can make a very strong argument that he kind of rode some coattails for a big portion of his career and it made him a hall of fame talent. But uh, I like this return. It's just such a classic like eighties action movie trope of just like the lone wolf kind of like, you know, old cranky veteran. So um what I'm kind of hoping is maybe they they do a match that's similar to that that will kind of hide some of Matt Hardy's deficiencies as a wrestler. And what I really, really hope for is that maybe this is a way to retire Matt Hardy in ring because I really do like him now as a manager. Um, I just think that like they need to get this separation because you can always see this twist of fate being the only move you can actually execute over and over again. And coming from the guy who we always joke, like even his high flyer era was only going off the second rope for a leg drop for a majority of his high flying maneuvers. So, um, yeah, I, I really think that the, if he is going to be retire from in-ring action against Christian Cage, I mean, you could do far, far less. I'll say that. Yeah, I think I think that is a really good call because I, I do think he it's good to have these mouthpiece characters because, you know, Clearly not everyone's MJF. Like having having the mouthpiece, having someone that can kind of help carry a promo is a great call. And I, I think you could probably come up with something a little more creative. Um, and they're clearly a fan of the cinema matches. I mean, that's what they used for Sting's first uh, match back with Darby against uh, Brian Cage and someone, I can't remember who. But uh, yeah, I think, I think that would be a smart call. And then you could probably do some pretty cool spots and then whatever that the wild ending is because the storyline like this is going to have to go a little bit crazier before it can reach its its end point so now i think i think that would be a great call to let him you know ride off into the the match sunset i mean hell that's you know what taker did and he's you know one of the greatest to ever do it and it was just like okay you know let me get my spots in but anything goes wrong or something starts going sideways we yell cut and give it one more shot so no i, I like that idea yeah, we'll see what comes from it. Uh, speaking of which, uh, your boy Cody Rhodes seems to be back in regular in-ring action now. I know that you're not completely caught up on AEW as of today, the recording, but did you happen to catch the debut that occurred? Yes, yes, I did. I did catch uh, Malachi Black, formerly Tommy N, formerly Aleister Black, and I mean, it continues my, my love of be, let's beat up Cody. Um, and I mean, you want to talk about a big, uh, a big sign of fate by management that when they let you come out and one, Arn Anderson took that kick like a champ. That guy is still all time. Like a lot of these older guys, I feel like it's kind of like, you have the embarrassing moment, but it's like Arn still just knows exactly where he should be. It's like, no, I'm not really the promo <laughs> guy. That's Cody. I'm not really the jump in the ring and do that. That's Sting. It's like, I'm just going to be here. I'm going to, you know, kind of be a quasi heavy. I can still give a good spine buster. And goddamn, he can still take a roundhouse kick and sell it like he died. So no, super excited. I think, I think that's a great point because it's kind of the classic. Cody can eat a loss. Cody can eat 30 losses. You know, at any time, he's amazing between the ropes. He's great on the mic. He's got the look. He's got the, you know, vice president next to his name. And, yeah, if Alistair comes in, or sorry, Malachi, 
Malachi got to get better at that. If Malachi comes in and that's really where he jumps off at, that that makes him a contender right from the get-go. So super excited to see where that goes, especially because it's already personal with Arn being in the mix. So I loved it. I think my favorite comment I saw when I watched the video of the debut was somebody was like, what the hell was Arn Anderson actually going to say on the mic had he not been interrupted? Because <laughs> it was like the way it was set up with him, like with to- Tony Chabone and just kind of like he introduced himself to the crowd. It was just kind of like, you fans are the greatest, but it's like, what else does Arn Anderson have to contribute <laughs> other than to stand there and get kicked in the face? Which you're right, he took like a champ. It was an amazing one. I love too how this kind of falls right at the end with the like the QT Marshall uh, feud with Cody seems to have come to an end after that strap match, Thank which goodness. yeah, but it was such a great like he's immediately immersed in something else and, and like you always say it's great that everyone hates Cody and wants to wants a piece of him and that's such a fantastic way to do it where it's like in a way it's almost like the bizarro Mr. McMahon's uh, stone cold where it's just like, even though he's like the vice president, he's just constantly being abused by his employees, but you gotta love it. Yeah. The one other thing I love just the way that Tony Shavani kind of had the like, well, I've seen this enough times to know how it ends because he just like slowly backed out of the ring. I felt like it was like the wrestling equivalent of the Homer going into the hedge. Like, yeah, it was just so perfect. All right, any other big ones that you're following lately in the AEW universe? Ah, uh, let me see. But I, well, I guess uh, just got to shout out the continued um, Bucks uh, and being the finest heels out there. So. I, I'm just so over the top with them and it continues to just be one of the best acts out there. So, yeah, I mean, the Bucks have reached that weird level where it's almost like, how do you keep out doing yourself? Like, I almost can't see how the they can put on a pay-per-view level performance anymore because I'm just getting so spoiled by them and what they do. Um, they add one early in the episode. I, believe for the last show at dailies uh for a while they are going to come back i believe for a tour but um and yeah recently too uh the most recent episode they ended up with a street fight match again with eddie kinkson and uh was it penta yeah and yeah it's it's been a great little feud <laughs> and it's i'm really enjoying just how they continue to one-up themselves but seriously like i don't know how they can do something even more extraordinary at a pay-per-view level, unless they're going to dabble into the TLC arena. Yeah, I'll be intrigued, especially because I I guess you've got three guys that are capable of doing some some high-flying stuff. And I think Eddie's just that guy that's going to be willing to do anything because he's just going for it. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm thoroughly just continuing to enjoy them, like the facial hair. It's like every time they look in the mirror and it's like, how can, you know, okay, so we already look like jackasses. Like, what are we going to do next? Yeah, I'm I'm just really enjoying everything about them. So just got to keep shouting the bucks out because it's so much fun. Yeah, I suppose, too, we'd be remiss not to uh, mention 
uh, Kenny Omega as well. Um, you had mentioned before, but uh, the Jungle Boy, him, uh, they had a match, I believe, since the last time we had recorded. And, yeah, it was uh, that weird Saturday one because of the playoffs. That's right. So what were your thoughts on that? Do you think he put him over well enough? Or do you think that um, – are you getting sick of the Kenny Omega just kind of be the champ and have 20 belts I couldn't identify <laughs> any of? Well, I think I'll, I'll kind of go with the last part first, that the fact that it looks like they're finally cashing in the Hangman Page storyline. So it's all worth it because he's become increasingly insufferable and finally we're going to get the showdown, which – I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up taking the first one just to make himself even more insufferable and make Hangman even more of a uh, a story. But now, as far as the match went, um, going back to my, like, I know how this is going to end. Why do I keep, like, freaking out thinking Jungle Boy might actually win the title? Like, they, they really sold that match well. I was so impressed. Like, Jungle Boy looked every bit to deserve uh, the spot he was in. And I, I got to say, I was glad that it was the, the V-Triggers that won it because everything about the one-winged angel just looks like a move that if you had to watch Jungle Boy like take it would be like, no, he's, he's going to get out of this. So I, I can't help but feel like that was a, a tactical move where it's like, let's not put a guy who's legitimately like carried on someone's shoulders to the ring on someone's shoulder with this like, what's he going to do? He's so out of his element. So no, I thought, I thought that was a standout match. Um, I like purposefully while I was on like a mini vacation, made sure I got back to the room in time to catch that. And it certainly lived up to the hype. So really, really enjoyed that. Yeah. I thought the, you know, I was also glad that they finished a clean ish that, you know, you see the, you see the elite come out and it's just like, really, we've had this awesome match and there's going to be, you know, distracted ref holding the tights roll up or something. So I was at least glad they kind of like teased the schmas, but then kept it legit. So no, really pleased. And yeah, I think, I mean, Kenny for all the, I mean, he's a heel. And so he's actually doing everything perfectly. You know, I, I sit here being like, he's such an asshole. It's like, all right, you know, <laughs> he's doing his job. I'm buying this shit, but yeah, he continues to just prove that he's, you know, if not the greatest, one of the two or three best in the world. So having him with that belt, you know, you get the horrible heel gimmick, but then once the bell rings, you've just got such quality. I am curious with the Adam Page uh, feud um, because I actually, and this is purely, again, like my own hunch. It has nothing to do with any research or any, you know, insight, but I, I wouldn't be shocked to see the hangman come away with the title. Um, I, I think that it's just been just long enough and that Kenny Omega, like I said, has so many of these other belts from weird other like organizations that I could almost see them dropping this one just to not only boost this up and coming talent, but also just kind of keep things from going a bit stale because um, I, I just think Kenny Omega's just whole faction itself, like the elite or whatnot, are, are poised for a few uh, setbacks. We'll just say that. No, I would, I would certainly agree. I think the idea of, I mean, it's kind of the typical thing that, you know, once you've been the flawless, you know, unbeatable guy, once the cracks start, you know, the, the fall is swift because I know that um, he's got a match booked with Andrade for the triple a belt coming up. 
So I wouldn't be shocked if AEW does the first crack on their thing, because I don't know if they want to have him, you know, lose the match to Andrade. And then Andrade gets to walk and be like, I beat the champ. And it's like, take some of the shine off it. Because clearly AEW, you know, when they're letting their guys work with other companies, it's always, it's a favor to the other company. Like it's, you know, let's not get it twisted. So I wouldn't be shocked if he drops the belt prior to that, um, just so that then, you know, Andrade can beat him, walk in, and then talk trash about Kenny and maybe even start, you know, talking some trash to Hangman. So, yeah, I'll be I'll be interested to see where it goes. But I was I was glad to see that they're finally after, you know, teasing it basically since the, you know, the tag team, which was quite a while ago. Um, they're they're getting back into it. So I'm, I'm excited for that. Yeah, I just think, too, like now that they're going to be on the road, um, you just that's going to affect some of your storylines, because now, like you do have to plan and take into account just logistics, um, one of which being that part of the reason like the WWE is notorious for the guys just talking for 20 minutes in the middle of the arena is because sometimes that's kind of what's necessary to get all the pyro and everything staged, you know, behind the scenes. So I, I really think that it lends itself to a great opportunity for more skits, more in-ring speeches and monologues. Um, having a character with a new shiny belt is always a great way to kind of kill 10 minutes when you're looking at the broadcast um, schedule. And also just that I think I would really, really be pissed to see the Young Bucks drop the belts to Kingston and uh, Penta just because yeah. like. I, I always hate to see where it's like just kind of they smush together two wrestlers and make them into a tag team when there's actual legit tag teams functioning. And especially in AEW where because the Bucks are so amazing, I feel like there have been some really talented tag teams that haven't quite gotten their due. Um, I mean, so. hell, P- Pent is half of a phenomenal tag team. Like No, he, exactly. He can't, he can't be like, oh, yeah, he couldn't he couldn't get beat these guys with his own brother. But the New Yorker with the heart of gold was enough to get him over the top. Like, no, no disrespect to Kingston. But, yeah, it's like, I get what you're saying. And, yeah, they beat, like, you know, Kazarian and his partner and forced them to split up. And, yeah, the, the tag team division is pretty well looked after. So, I, I get what you're saying. Just a, like, angry duo doesn't feel right. Yeah, I mean, you have, like, the damn Seidel brothers who go out and do amazing things, like, every damn night. But, you know, they're not even getting – close to sniffing a chance at the title let alone like you said the brawler from the bronx and you know uh penta who is apparently spent you know while his brother's recuperating <laughs> needs to continue to be in ring so um yeah I, I would just really hate to see it that but you can't have the elite just hold all the belts all the time so i, I think kenny omega would would just open up so many storylines if he were to end up dropping the belt to page no, I think you're right. That's a good call. I think uh, the other one I'll mention too, uh, you you brought him up and thank you for reminding me, but I really, really am liking the Frankie Kazarian uh, was it elite hunter angle. The elite hunter. It's so great. It's an amazing gimmick. I forget which broadcaster call it where they basically just describe him as the punisher. And it just works so well because that's really legitimately all he is. He just shows up with his hoodie and beats ass and then disappears almost as quickly as he came in. And uh, yeah, it's amazing how much that has renewed my interest in a character that was pretty generic, you know, for the most. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's like, it's also just great for, I think it, 
honestly, especially with all the coverage they've been getting lately, it kind of harkens back a little bit to Sting with the NWO. Like this guy that he's not really aligned with anyone. He's just against someone else. So it's not like he's there to support Jungle Boy or he's there to support like Eddie and Penta. It's like, no, I just hate you. So no matter what happens, I will show up and I will attack you. And yeah, like I, I completely agree that before that he was just solid in the ro- between the ropes guy. You know, what a you know, good looking dude, short hair, good shape. But yeah, all of a sudden, yeah, you make him kind of this punisher character and he's he's jumping off the page. So that's something else where I'm kind of curious to see if the elite starts to fall apart, you know. He's probably going to end up in the mix somewhere because long-term storytelling, you know, they don't name you the elite hunter and not have you be some part of why the elite falls apart. All right. Before we wind up our uh, coverage here on AEW, uh, I do have to take your opinion on a few things here. Um, facial hair related. What do we think of Frankie Kazarian's five o'clock shadow? Um, I, I mean, a lot of these answers could come in the form of jealousy, but Kazarian's I go for. I think if you're if you're rocking the elite hunter, you got to have that little bit of a like didn't sleep because you were like waiting in the alley for him or something so i think it, it adds a nice little edge to him that after being kind of a clean cut dude they they've let him get a little gritty or like he's he's losing uh he's losing sleep over these guys i i agree completely i think uh like i said i thought he was rather generic before amazing talent just pretty basic and now that just adds such a fun little development despite it being nothing more than allowing your beard to grow out a tad uh, what about the Young Bucks, their most recent facial hair experiment? I will I will liken it to the leather hats they were wearing in that it's like it looks ridiculous and it's frustrating, but I know that's exactly what they're going for. So I'm like eating into their palms. And I, I'll also throw in a little touch of like impressed because like uh, Nick Jackson's like Fu Manchu, that thing seems like it came out of nowhere and it is so full. It wasn't like some goofy, like I shaved my like five o'clock shadow into it. It was like, holy shit, this guy, you know, should be in like an old Western movie or something. So I, I will say that, you know, not pulling it off in the sense that you took, you know, a couple good looking guys and make them look a little worse, but that's the point. So I guess it's, you know, thumbs down if you show me a picture and you're like, what do you think of this guy? But thumbs up if you are asking me what I think about the Young Bucks as they continue to get more insufferable every single week. I do appreciate the fact, too, that I believe both their facial hair was uh, instantly removed <laughs> come the next broadcast. So um, what about Kenny Omega joining in on the fun and donning his own locks? This one I only kind of take a little bit of umbrage with because I feel like it's like I saw it and I was like, oh, he's trying to look like Triple H. Because that, I feel like Triple H really kind of lived on the like mustache into the beard in creative ways. Um, so I think, I think that almost had a little bit of the like, he walked in and saw the Young Bucks doing it. He was like, oh, cool, me too. And, and they just kind of ran with it. But once again, this could very much be, I, you know, these all seem like pretty smart, savvy guys. So I wouldn't be shocked if it was meant to do that. But yeah, I got, I got some serious uh, 2000s Triple H vibes. I'm glad that you uh, pointed that out, actually, because that was kind of similar to how I felt, too. Like, I feel like now, again, that they're, they're getting ready to tour and they're going to be on the road. Um, 
that they're kind of reestablishing some of the characters, particularly him, in the sense that like you really, really like you're no longer dealing with the diehards now when you were just operating out dailies. Like now you're going, you're concerning yourself with people who are just going to a live show who may not follow your product. And I've noticed like Kenny Omega, when he, he wrestled with Jungle Boy, he showed up with the wet hair, which uh, makes him look a little more menacing. And you add in now the facial hair that very much was the, the early Triple H or early 2000 Triple H, I should say. And it, it does kind of give him almost a bit more of that edge of toughness because, I mean, I've always joked that Kenny Omega is kind of a goofy looking dude when they have him dressed up to look all sexy or whatever. And he has the big poofy hair, so it doesn't quite work as well as like a Roman Reigns, for instance. But um, yeah, I, I really think that that was a clever little move and he's maintained it as well in the subsequent broadcast. So uh, we may be seeing that for a little while yet. Yeah, I think that's a really good point about being on the road and the casual fan that, like, if you get drugged to it or it's just the classic, like, three of your buddies like this shit and you don't, but it's an excuse to go drink and watch something on a Wednesday, that it's like, oh, he's got, you know, like, a mustache going into his sideburns and wet, slick back hair. He's a bad guy. So I, I can see what you're talking about, that it just establishes a little more of the standard trope so that you don't have to be constantly doing the like, okay, now that's so-and-so, and he did this, this, and this. It's like, oh, no, he, he definitely is a bad guy. So I think that's, that's a really good call. about Luke Gallows and his uh, goatee? Man, he... <laughs> that one worries me because... I kind of worry if it's the like, or is he in on the joke? Is he not? Is it is it like he really likes it? But then when they're like, yeah, you know, it, it'll be a shame once we, you know, turn face or something. We got to lose these because, or you know, like, oh, my wife's really gonna like when I get rid of this. And just, yeah, I can't can't wait to cut off this stupid thing. And his head is just like, please keep me healed. Please keep me healed. Because it does seem to fit him a little too well as opposed to the rest of the guys. I was going to say, like, for a big dude, like, I've always appreciated when you have a big menacing dude that, like, like he looks legitimately terrifying. Oh, yeah. I mean, if he, if, if, if he ever heard that, I would hope that he didn't take umbrage with it. Cause I, he's, he's one of the really scary looking dudes. Yeah, but then when you combine that with, like, just how much he seems to have embraced just the goofy over-the-top antics and, like, the stupid earrings and all the shit he's putting into that goatee, like, I, I think that he just genuinely seems like a fun loving guy and he's just totally embraced whatever they want. Like very much like the young bucks who just keep pushing the envelope for ridiculousness. And now you have this other big imposing figure that should be intimidating and, and scary as all hell, but somehow just makes it seem very lighthearted. I mean, I still stand by the fact that no one puts on a leather fedora and thinks like this is a good look so i think the moment he did that it was like <laughs> okay he's in on the joke like here you know some guy like here we put this on and it's just like okay yeah I'll, i'm in you know I'm, I'm in on this gimmick <laughs> yeah i think uh any mention of the leather fedora is a great place to leave off so <laughs> i think with that thank you so much for the recapping aew with me and uh thank you for listening 